0: We, our fine selves, are going to be looking at uh, the next chapter, or the next you know, little piece of text um, in our book that we're studying together, Jewish Mysticism and the Spiritual Life, um, these classic texts with, con- with contemporary reflections. The um, one that we're looking at tonight is from the Sfat Emet, who I think we've mentioned before, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, Altar of Ger, otherwise known as the Ger Rebbe. Rabbis were known, Hasidic masters were known for the towns in which they uh, lived and worked. Um, so he's the Ger Rebbe, and he uh, also scholars were known by the name of their most famous work. So the Sfat Emet is actually his most famous work, called which means in English the language of truth. Um, so Rabbi Yehuda Leib of Ger wrote the Sfat Emet, and so he became known as the Sfat Emet. Um, So the text that we're going to look at is based on the um, pasuk, the sentence from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 23, um, that has to do with our Passover story. So I thought it was quite wonderful that it worked out that just in this season of Pesach, we happen to be, happen to be, as if there is such a thing, happen to be um, studying this text. On Geulah on redemption. So somebody begin please by reading for us Exodus two twenty-three. It came
1: to pass in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died.
2: <clears throat> the uh, children of Israel aside because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry rose up to God because of the bondage.
0: Okay. So when we get to this place where the king of Egypt has died. We've already had two chapters of the book of Exodus. Where does the book of Exodus start? Names. Starts with the names of the folks who had gone down to Egypt and then almost immediately moves to the birth of the hero. Right? Moves to, moves to the birth of Moshe. And so from the beginning of the book of Exodus, and he's born into slavery, right? So from the, we've had two chapters, and Torah's terse. You know by now that Torah is very terse. So two chapters of slavery. And not until the king of Egypt dies do we get this remark that the children of Israel sighed because of their bondage and they cried out and their cry rose up to God. Where is the Midrashic tradition going to start? What is the first question the rabbis are going to ask about this pasuk, about this sentence? After two chapters of describing the life under... Why only now are they crying out to God? Why (laughs) only now are they crying out to God? It's been 400 years. This, if you think Jewishly, is the first question. Now? (laughs) Suddenly now? Right? Dafka now when Pharaoh has died... It just seems, if you take this pasuk in isolation, which our rabbinic tradition loves to do, and really look at it, it's a little odd. They're just now, after 400 years crying out, it's just now reaching God, this business of them complaining, and, or or crying out, and, and it's just after Pharaoh has died. Okay. So, that is where all of the rabbis go first. Many of them know the Madrashic tradition so well, they're just like, okay, so we'll go on to the next thing. But that's the first question Jewishly to ask. So this is where Rabbi Yehuda Leib, uh, Alter of Ger, is going to start. So somebody begin the Spada Metz commentary, please.
2: My grandfather and teacher commented that until the king died, they were so deeply sunk in exile that they did not even feel it but now the process of redemption began and they became aware of their exile and started to sigh this is also the meaning of the verse I will bring you forth from beneath the sufferings of Egypt Exodus 6.6 6, meaning that Israel will no longer be able to put up with the ways of Egypt surely there are several rungs in each exile he brings forth the prisoners he delivers the humble he helps the poor These are three different aspects of redemption from exile.
0: Okay, let's stop there. (laughs) All right, so the Svadimeth is quoting his grandfather, who was a great teacher, a a great, great master himself. Bless you. you. And the grandfather, bless you. you, you, has a teaching on this pasuk. That until the king died, they were so deeply sunk in exile that they didn't even feel it. What's the it? The
3: pain pain. pain of exile. Pain. The
0: The pain of exile. That they were in bondage. Now, exile and bondage are not the same thing. They are not the same thing. So, he's referencing the pain of exile. Exile, right? So already there's been a leap from what we assume, which is the pain of bondage to something else. The pain of something deeper, something bigger. Exile, the state of exile. Because remember, this is redemption, right? So, but now... The process. So what's the but negating? What does but mean? But now? Negates the past 400 years of not feeling it. So, so they are somehow now feeling it, and that is a huge shift. The but now is huge, right? But now the process of redemption began, and they became aware of their exile and started to sigh... The the process of redemption began, and they became aware of their exile and started to sigh. It seems like exile is spiritual,
2: because certainly they knew they were slaves. Didn't take 400 years to figure that out. (laughs) And they knew they weren't in their original home. Didn't take 400 years to figure that out. So I read this exile as some kind of a spiritual exile that somehow they were not aware of and later became aware of.
0: So if they knew they were enslaved for 400 years, they knew they weren't home in their homeland for 400 years.
1: But let's stop there. They may not have known they were enslaved. You can (laughs) adapt Mm. and become accustomed to what you have to
0: live with. So that certainly is a part of where... He's going, right, is there is a way one... But What's the thing about the frog? You right. put a frog in water and the slower you turn up the heat, boils. like he'll, the frog will boil. So that there is a sense of you become accustomed and somehow immune and somehow unaware of your situation to the extent that you could say they... There's a difference, I think, of not knowing something and not being aware of the pain of it. Hmm. So they'd known they're in bondage, like, as just, okay, let's just put that as as knowledge, because they know they have to report to the minds or to, you know, like the. Because
2: that's all they
0: knew. Because that's all they knew, so they at least knew that. They know they're not in some place where their ancestors <laughs> came from. Okay, okay, they knew that. What they didn't seem to really know, though, Was that they were in exile. What's the difference? What's the difference between exile and slavery and not being in your native homeland?
1: That's it. You're not being in your native homeland. So,
0: but it seems that that's something they already kind of knew, but now they know they're in exile.
1: I think that goes to Bert's point that, they became a level of consciousness. It's
3: an exile from all dimensions of yourself. There's dimensions. Yeah, I, yeah, you yeah, I look, it look at a spirit. Being I,
1: I agree. Yeah, with yeah they're, they're not an
2: exile. This is not an exile from where they lived, but if you want an exile from God
0: or connection with God. So there's something about Galut, right, that's not these other things, right? It's got a level to it, clearly, that is something else. So there is definitely a spiritual level to it. I'm not sure that I want to go so far as to say it's only yes. a spiritual exile. I think it's one thing to understand that you just happen to be a slave because mm-hmm. you were born you know, African-American in this country at a certain horrible time in our history, and you don't live in Africa where your ancestors came from. I mean, I'm just trying to use our closest paradigm for that. It's something else to be in exile from Africa, isn't it?
4: I think a slave always has the escape of their dreams, and exile is has there's a barrier between oneself
0: and those dreams. Okay, so exile somehow means some barrier about possibility. A slave can get there is in in place. An exile can't get there. Mm
3: -hmm. Separated from your true self, Mm -hmm. self.
0: I think all of that, this is going to be true. I think there's something about exile that is purposeful, that you have been banished, that you have been sent, that where is home, it's not here. Exile means home is somewhere else. That is a hugely different understanding of I'm not living in the land of my ancestors. Right? It's one thing to say I don't live in the land of my ancestors, I live in America. That's one thing, to say I'm in exile from the land of my ancestors means someplace else is where I really locate my fully redeemed self.
1: Because what happens is they are exiled even from within Egypt. They are separated, made slaves, and treated at that level.
3: Yeah, the, you know what it reminds me of? These kids who get kidnapped, and then they have the opportunity to escape a few years later. They're so internally um, imprisoned, really from their self and their own freedom, that they don't take the opportunity to, to go away. But then when, if their awareness occurs, then they can
0: And I think that goes to the point about they've relocated where home is because they've had to. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like to survive the daily atrocity of their situation psychologically to protect ourselves, this becomes home. Because if I continue to locate real me, real life, real everything, home, somewhere else, what does that mean about where I am. Well, we're going to see what it means about where I am. All right, so...
4: Well, I just want to say the word sigh is just so light. You know, it just seems like if they had any realization of what they were enduring, there would be a lot more going on than just sighing.
0: Well, they sighed first. They started. Then what happens? Well, the they, they, cry. they cry. They right. cry out. Atsa'aka. Yeah, Sa'aka is much different okay. than right, the first word that yes. we see.
5: Is it possible that all of this is triggered because if the king dies, there's hope?
0: Ha 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 ha. Well,
3: yeah, <laughs> <it>. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so.
5: They were okay. for
2: 400 years. This wasn't a 400 year old king. Right. So, so ostensibly it had happened before.
0: Right. So, but in, well, in this generation. This yeah. was first. This. Presumably, but we, we don't it's even have to go true. that far, right? It's also
3: true psychologically that often until you see a glimmer of hope, you can't allow yourself to experience that. Yeah, so.
0: oh, of course. Wonderful. All right, so surely, <laughs> right? Surely there are several rungs in each exile. We're dealing with mystics. We're dealing with spiritual practitioners with these texts. So we're dealing with people who appreciate levels Right, rungs on a ladder. Nothing is ever going to be simple and straightforward, right? So, so he's going to look deeply, as is the tradition, at the mystical tradition, at the rungs that go on, the levels that go on in each exile. So, of course, if you're going to do that, how do you do that as a Jewish mystic? How do you investigate more deeply what these rungs might be? You look in Torah. That's where you're going to look. Of course, you're going to look in Torah. And you're going to look for another pasuk that has something to do with bringing out or from slavery or jail or something, freeing, liberating, redeeming, something, right? You're going to start looking all over Torah for that. Well, it happens that there are places where we see in the text about God in Torah that God brings forth prisoners. We also have texts that tell us God delivers the humble and helps the poor. So from, you can imagine, lots of references to what God does that are liberating acts. These are the three, the Svaternets, or his grandfather, have chosen uh, to work with. These are the three different aspects of redemption from exile. Yes? So we have the middle rung. Somebody, oh, I, we just stopped reading there, right? right? Right. Okay, so somebody read there. The middle rung.
4: The middle rung comprises those who are prisoners in exile. They are unable to broaden out that point of the divine life that is within them. They need to be brought forth from that prison. The humble are the righteous, they themselves are not really in exile but they remain there only for the common good. Such was the case with Moses, who had already been a shepherd. He was prepared for redemption. In essence, he was no longer in exile at all, but was, j- but was there just to redeem Israel. The same was true of the light in those 70 souls who came into Egypt. They were there just to make for redemption. This is, he delivers the humble but he helps the poor, refers to those lowly ones who do not yet even feel their exile. They are in need of the greatest salvation. This is the beginning of redemption. I will bring you forth from beneath the sufferings of Egypt. This is why there are four terms for redemption mentioned in the Torah. There are those three, and the fourth is, I will take you as my people. This is the purpose of redemption, the uplifting that was the reason for the entire exile. Something like this is true of every exile, but more than that, all these rungs seem to exist in every person as well. Every Jew has some inner place in which he is a free person. This is especially true since we have already come out of Egypt. Now there is surely something free in every Jew. This helps the person to prepare for redemption. That which is true of the people as a whole is true of
0: each individual person as well. All right. So we have three rungs, three levels in every experience of exile, right, of redemption from exile. And the quote that we have about that God brings forth the prisoners is this middle rung. These are folks who are in prison but are unable to broaden out that point of divine life that is within them. They need to be brought forth from that prison. So they are somehow constrained and unable to break out and they have to be brought out of that prison. That's this level. And this happens, as we're told at the end, to individuals as well as to the people as a collective. The delivers the humble, who are the humble? These are people like Moshe who are ready for redemption and only experience exile voluntarily, right? So they, they move into a state of exile, but they're but, they've, but they're not really prisoners, right, the way these people. So Moshe agrees. Moshe takes on slavery as a mission to help those who are enslaved, right? The 70 who went down, went down voluntarily. Of it was about food and it was about whatever, but, but they made that move themselves. There's something different, right, about that state than the like locked in, really imprisoned state, says the Svadimeth and his grandfather, that have experienced something else, right? Moshe's been a shepherd. He's been the boss. He's looked after something. He's cared for something. He's had responsibility. That's a different state. Then there are the bottom, right, that God helps the poor, This refers to the ones who do not yet even feel their exile. They are in the greatest need of salvation. The ones who we've mentioned, right, in so many different ways, who have bought into somehow, have become immune to, who no longer feel, who no longer even experience that they're prisoners, that they're in exile. They don't feel it even anymore this and this is the greatest right this is the greatest challenge right here these folks are ready if you can get them out these folks are part of the whole thing from the beginning just to you know to try to help to help the rest of the situation these are the folks who are really stuck that's Mm -hmm. the child who doesn't even know how to ask a child who does not even know how to ask and we get four terms. If you went to Seder and you read any kind of Maxwell House-related Haggadah, <laughs> you know all about the four terms used for redemption in the Torah. But even if you had a cut-down version, if you drank four cups of wine, it's for the four, right? Four ways redemption is talked about in Torah. And why do we have four? If we only have three rungs, you can't have three rungs and four words from redemption. We only got three categories. Well, that can't be, right? So there are three categories, but the fourth business about redemption is the whole point of the thing, so that I can take you as my people. This, for me, is always the Jewish corrective to our American societal value that we are free only. Free from, not free to. We are free to serve God, says our tradition. Yes? We are not just free from slavery or freed from Egypt. We are free to become Yudhe Vavhe's people. That's the point of the redemption. From slavery. That's the point of the liberation from Egypt, is so I can take you as my people, so that we can have a relationship, so that you're free to act on that relationship. Because when you're slaves, you don't get to choose how you live. But when you're no longer a slave, you can choose to live into this new covenant that we're establishing together about norms of behavior. And ways of being in the world. And that is the whole point. That's the meaning of freedom. Alright. Something like this is true of every exile. But more than that, each one of these is present in each person as well. Every Jew has some inner place in which he is a free person. She is a free human being. This is especially true since we have already come out of Egypt. Now there is surely something free in every Jew. This helps the person to prepare for redemption. That which is true of the people as a whole is true of each individual person as well. So for me, a nice meditation... See where we might be going on Friday? A nice meditation might be, so where, where is the part of me, as I look inward, that is already free? And where is the part of me that kind of voluntarily has gone into some kind of stuck places, thinking this would be a way to fill in the blank? Which part of me is truly stuck? Right? Where am I truly, truly stuck? And where have I even forgotten that there is another option?
1: But that humble person, or the humble part of us, is where the spark is, right? So. There has to be a spark.
0: It so, can't be a fire. Right. So, um, I mean, the way I read it, you know, we, we, would, we can read it some more. The way I read it was that the part of me that's free is the part of me that provides that spark, that energy, right? That's going to move me towards redemption.
1: Could that be the soul?
0: The part of me that's connected. You know, the part of me that gets it. The part of me that's free because I'm connected to the divine, because I am, right, part of understanding myself as this, you know, being that is connected to being capital B. Some part of me is free. Often it takes a lot of digging, right, under the rubble to find that flame, that's that spark. So let's look at page 48.
1: Yeah, can I go one step further here? Sure. So in this case, it's Moses. Who has a relationship with God, and then everybody gets mad at everybody, including the people, because they don't get it. Mm-hmm. So even if you have the spark within you, you still need something to act as an accelerant. Yeah. That metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. <laughs> well,
2: no, but in the story, God is an active participant in the story. Right. This isn't all the human side. And so part of that spark, I would argue, comes from God as well.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, that I believe the sfat emet is suggesting that part of the accelerant is what? Pain. Pain. Hmm. That's why I think this is a really profound teaching, coming out of kin caring in particular. Hmm. Pain is the accelerant. So, I mean, I, I'm just floating that. You'll, you'll see if we think that's true by the end of our study. But I think that's part of the power of this Why teaching. Not hope? Yeah. And the one can't do much without the other. All right, so let's look at 48. Someone read at the paragraph the rabbis suggest.
5: <clears throat> the rabbis suggest that the people's silence under oppression has reflected not only endurance of what has become long-standing trouble, Sa'ar but even acceptance. They take no initiative. The Midrashic phrase is literally, there were no good deeds in their hands to counter the regimen imposed on them. Nor can they even envision a moral universe in which the
0: term
5: good deeds could have meaning. Go on. In the Midrashic (laughs) imagination, what jolts them from passivity is the torturer's extremity. When they experience themselves as in their death throes, they call out in a way that arouses God. Yet the emphasis remains on powers external to the people. God is the only subject of a powerful series of verbs that lead from perception to understanding to intimate knowledge and experience. (laughs)
0: V'yadea Elohim.
5: Exodus two twenty five, mm-hmm. the basis of God's saving act.
0: All right, so by Yedai Elohim is about right this movement of God kind of <laughs> hears the cry, acknowledges the suffering, and then moves to and knows the people's pain. So remember, whenever we use Yud Dalad Ayin, you know that word for knowing, we mean intimate knowing. And so, from just God kind of hearing the cry to God, knowing the people's suffering is a movement. And in the Midrashic imagination, it takes great pain. And it's a horrifying, it's at the top of your page 48. It's a horrifying, one of the horrifying ways the rabbis imagine that pain coming into focus, right? It being so bad, you know, if you've read history at all you know i think of you know armies that throw up infants and bayonets i mean it just it's it's that kind of there's a tipping point when the cruelty becomes so extreme and the people's pain so unbearable and excruciating there's a tipping point and something happens and when that happens they f- experience themselves like as a people existentially and maybe even individually, right? As in their death throes, it's that bad. It has become that horrifying. That intolerable that they that some movement happens, right? Something shifts. So even in that, the rabbis in the the our commentator Judith Cates is saying it's still located outside of them, but some outside force, some outside power, that's they're calling out to something outside of them. Right? It's still located out there. Alright, so go to the spot MS, that paragraph.
6: The spot in that, quoting his grandfather, Rabbi Yitzhak Meir, moves the response to the Midrashic questions inward. The people's silence for him reflects apathy, an inability or unwillingness to feel. He suggests that if we allow ourselves to feel at all, that will inevitably involve feeling pain, unsatisfied desire and longing, and loss, all of which he considers as galut, exile. The ultimate exile is an exile from all those dimensions of ourselves that register as feeling, perhaps even consciousness. They were so deeply sunk in exile that they did not feel that they were in exile. Such is the condition of the poor, those most fully suffused with the condition of exile who require the greatest salvation. All right,
0: so if I just take even five seconds to think about my own life every single day, Right? Is that so not, like, so true? Right? Because the minute we really go to a place of being willing to feel, to be quiet, and just sit down, and just feel, what happens? We don't instantly drop into joy, Hmm. most of us. We just don't. That is just not the human condition. We can get there. And I'm not saying, you. and what he's saying is you're going to have to go there to get to joy, right? Because otherwise, because if you're not feeling, you're not feeling anything. But the minute we s- start feeling, what do we experience? It's going to involve pain, unsatisfied desire, longing, loss that is what comes up the minute we allow ourselves to feel and that that unwillingness to go there to realize Galut to feel the experience of Galut which he's he's labeling all those things as exile of Galut it is the unwillingness to f- experience that we are in Galut that keeps us these people. <laughs> And this is where we are so much of the time, this bottom rung, the poor, who don't even know anymore that they are in a, in a situation of exile.
2: Would okay. I really have a lot of trouble with this. Okay. I really, really do, because it's one step from this to blaming the oppressed for their oppression.
0: Okay, okay so hang on.
2: And I don't think that's what's being said here, but right. particularly in a post-Holocaust so, age.
0: So let's back up. What, what's, what's oppression? What's the, what's the oppression when we're talking about the internal galut? If galut is loneliness, loss, pain, longing, no, and so we're, grief, we're talking
2: about people who were enslaved here. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. I'm talking about he's, he's shifted from that now. He's not talking about them. He's talking about us. He's talking about us okay. now, so because that's why I want to be I've clear. My, I mean, he's no, he's gone, he's left the slavery out there, and has gone to silence and apathy, being an inability or unwillingness to feel. That is the condition of slavery to, as it is experienced inside. Yeah. Then, then, then. Galut is, you know, an awareness of galut is a willingness to experience our knowledge that we are in exile, is willingness to face the pain, the loss, the anguish, the longing that is our human experience of exile. And it's only when we are willing to feel that that we have any possibility of moving towards liberation. And Redemption.
1: The other side is addiction.
6: Absolutely.
0: Well, that's part, that's part of the whole thing. Apathy, unwillingness to feel completely is about addiction. Okay. Or psychopath, psychopathology. But the only, the only thing for me about psychopathology is I don't know how much control people have over that. The, he is talking about our unwillingness, not inability. And to, that to feel me, unwillingness is to me controllable. Inability is not. Unwillingness is. So a psychopath? I don't know how much will it. You know, I don't know how. I'm not a psychologist. So I, or a psychiatrist. I don't know. But it suggests to me a disorder mm-hmm. about choice. He's all about. This is the regular brain, the regular heart, the regular person who anesthetizes or has become anesthetized and on some level chooses to stay there because it's easier, and not that that it's good or great or fantastic, he's not saying that. It's less threatening than facing the feelings we know are going to happen when we stop eating, When we stop shopping, when we stop drinking, when we stop having sex with whoever comes in our path, right, when we stop that stuff, we know what's gonna happen, we're gonna feel. And the condition of doing anything to push away the experience of pain, right, um, is the condition of slavery. The pain is the condition of galut, which is our lot, all of us, that's our lot as human beings. Here's, but the teaching doesn't end here, so let's no stop here. It doesn't end here. This, right, this is the beginning of the teaching, right? 49, somebody read a third line down in the middle of the line, what changes? Now we're talking about the people in our story, the people of Israel in the story of Exodus. Somebody read.
1: What changes? Why the juxtaposition of the king of Egypt died? and the children of Israel groaned. Ingeniously, he suggests that the death of the king of Egypt can be understood as the death of pushing out of existence of the kingship of Egypt, the dominance of that state of apathy or perhaps fear of feeling that prevents what Aviva Zornberg calls conscious alienation. To become aware of the pain of one's existence, to resist assimilation into one's condition of need, pain, or suffering, is to begin a process of change. All
0: right, so going back to our Exodus text, what is he suggesting? What changed? The king of Egypt died, and now they groan? Why? Why now? Ingeniously, he suggests that the death of the king of Egypt, don't understand it as the king of Egypt stopped breathing and his heart stopped beating. That is not what it means. There's a much deeper meaning. Torah always has a much deeper meaning for the mystics, Yes. Or for all the rabbis. So what does it mean? Read it instead as the kingship of Egypt died. The power of Pharaoh to determine the people's status died. That is what happened. The dominance of that state of apathy or fear of feeling. That's slavery. Right? If we're going to equate that to slavery, right? That, that pushing away of any feeling, any awareness, then that died. That's what the Torah is coming to tell us. This the thing that prevents what Aviva Zornberg, who we were just mentioning earlier, calls conscious alienation. Look, look at the back of your packet, and I went to Aviva Zornberg for you. And I brought you the pages in which she's she's dealing with this. In the middle of that page 33, the final point of the process is, quote, their shriek for help from the bondage rose up to God, end quote. That is, the cry is transmuted into a prayer. Out of the brutalized silence rises the cry, which is one of the essential links in the story of redemption. It is not only their ex- willing to experience, but their agony in that pain that releases the cry that will trigger redemption.
2: So is it possible to have redemption without pain, or does redemption only
0: come through pain? So this, I think, is a very good question. And my, if I was a betting woman? Mm -hmm. No pain, no gain. No pain, no redemption. We, as human beings, have to be willing to feel and experience the all of our human experience or we're not free. We must be willing to hold the all of it before we can move through it. Otherwise, we're stuffing it. There is no way to recover or heal. You know, Any good grief work person will tell you, you can't, time does not heal any wounds. Grief work heals wounds, right? So distance helps, yes. But it doesn't heal. Grief is healed through experiencing grief. And until one does that, if one cuts it off or denies it or pushes it away or stuffs it or diverts it in any way, one isn't free of it. You can lug it around behind you. I'm not saying you can't go forward. But you've got Samsonite behind you, you know, with cement blocks in it. Have you seen people walking around like that? They're They're moving and you can just, you know, right, you can just see it and feel it behind them.
3: Huh?
0: Me, some days. I'm not saying them. I shouldn't say that. Right? Us, that's what, that's what happens to us. When we're not dealing, we're dragging it behind us like a ball and chain.
1: But actually what happens here is that the pain creates the breakthrough. In words,
0: yes, know. yes. You, Absolutely. You
1: can't stuff it.
0: Turn over to page 34 and read then you just earned the prize. You get to read starting at here the sense.
1: Here the sense of anguish is God's gifts. the beginning of redemption. dulled, acquiescent, walled up in their clogged senses. The Israelites are unredeemable. Another way of saying this another way of saying this is to say that God does not want to save them. God and the human mirror each other. When God does not want to save... When God does does want want to save, save... This is experienced by the human being as a most intimate pain of lack that organizes the diffuse sensations into the coherence of a cry. The human rage that shakes the dulled world into a divine power within the human
0: being. Is a divine power within the human being. The pain of not having emerges in a cry. This is the moment of transformation when the people become redeemable. Then God knows. God can't know, paradoxically, until the people experience the pain and cry out of that pain, right? It's not just a static, just feel the pain, it's experience the pain and cry out that this is not okay. then then transformation becomes possible. And that that paradoxically is also a gift from God. <clears throat> not the pain, <throat> right? I don't we're not certain sects, right in this world who would. Who would go there? That's not us. Our sense of our anguish is God's gift, right? Never, God forbid, the pain, but the our sensing of it is a gift that triggers the divine response. How beautiful the rabbi's view of God—that it is God's own gift. Our our experience, our willingness to experience our pain and loss and grief and fear, and whatever. Our willingness to experience that, that's already there, is a gift that then triggers a divine response of empathy and love.
6: You know that there is a level of pain if too continuous and too brutal that I would say is not redemptive. Like, I mean, I think... I kinda of hear what Bert's saying, like if someone is in a concentration camp and using apathy as a defense mechanism. I mean, like I wouldn't want to go to the point to say, oh, the more pain the better, because the more redeemed you'll be. That yeah. is
0: not the text. So I do yeah. not believe that I do, and I do not believe that's what he's saying. And I wouldn't defend it. If he did, I would say, You're right. I agree. Let's move right, th- like move on. Just, you need to have I don't think it's what he's saying. It. I think what he's saying <laughs> is apathy if you're in a concentration camp, God forbid, a million times, you do whatever you have to to survive. Period.
6: And in that case, pain is not redemptive.
0: Not in that moment because there's no possibility of transformation. It becomes redemptive only when there is a possibility of transforming it. If the abuse is going to continue... You can't feel that... You can't do anything about that until you're out of the perpetrator's control.
3: Yes, when he died and then they felt hope.
0: There is your answer. When Hitler was defeated, when Pharaoh died, that's when it can happen. Not until then. And it's not supposed to be perpetual. God forbid. That's, that would be horrifying, yes. right? Specifically to the Hasidic masters that were all about ecstasy. Yes. Right? That, that would be Horrifying. But you can't get to the other side of that trauma until you've dealt with the feelings (coughs) after Pharaoh has died. Sometimes it's after mother dies.
2: But does that mean that people who don't have a lot of tragedy in their lives can't be redeemed?
0: No, but there's not one human being on this planet that doesn't know pain. I don't know. But there are
2: degrees of it.
0: Of course. So yeah, lucky the person the whose only degree of pain no. is not so bad. No,
1: but right? for these people for those of us who get locked down <coughs> that goes back to that initial spark that exists in all of us. There comes a tipping point
0: mm-hmm.
1: where the pain, which is sort of a gift from God back to Zornberg.
0: The, the f- experiencing of it. The ability the ability to experience it. You can't block it anymore. That's right.
6: Well so. it's like kind of a- so it's kind of like the pain of modern life, I think, is always there. It's always underneath. And we have, like, various neuroses that help us to deal <laughs> with it. You know, and, <laughs> and yeah, then, so the people cool. that never go to therapy. Never, <laughs> like, it's... Sure. It's that yeah. It's that yeah. story. I mean, if you think about a lot of things in life, it's terrifying if you really sit with it and think about it. But you figure out ways to get over it.
1: But, isn't but this you about- know, you
6: have to... In certain things in your life, interpersonal things, things that are happening in relationships, you really have to sit with that to go through it. Yes. You can't just have half a sleeve of chocolate chip cookies. That's not going to get it.
0: I hate know. to say, Linda, yes, you're right. Me, I true. hate to admit that, yes, you're right. Half a sleeve of cookies is yeah, not going to be transformative. You know, or whatever. It is. <laughs>
6: It may yeah, transport you, you.
0: It won't transform you. Because then it'll just be
6: fat and unhappy. that's the addiction. <laughs> right? Yes. Imprisoned. yes. that's right. Oh, that's this is about a
1: relationship yes. with a higher power—the power of power the ability to cause change, to cause you to change.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you yes. go where you're
1: saying, then you're you're just tripping out on, on whatever
0: blocks. Right. If you go to the cookies, it's mm-hmm. an addiction.
6: Mm-hmm. Also, that, some, an, um, some people dwell
0: too much in the things that
6: are painful and wrong in the world, like to a point of so You the, can also be crazy with that So the
0: dwelling you know, like in it, it is not
6: dying in Africa,
0: But listen to him, the dwelling in it is not the point That's not the point, that's the starting point, that's the opening You gotta have a relationship You, you, you ha- This is the goal I think what Linda is saying is that these people would improve
4: if they knew that there was an improvement to be had.
0: Wait, just wallowing in the pain is not the point. The the point is liberation. The point is redemption. The point is how we move out of it. That's the point. Into I will take you as my people. Into relationship. A,
5: A human being just by nature of the ridiculousness of what we are is air to pain <laughs> because people die, people are born people have, yeah. I mean, we mm-hmm. are right. we cannot, es- but it we spend most of our energy trying to escape right. feeling it, so if you feel it, you can maybe then turn to a higher power and connect and be
0: redeemed
3: isn't, isn't that the idea?
0: Yes okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. and how to do that, of course, is the work of a lifetime and right. then we find a way to get into more pain, so Right. It's like, okay, next. So, I mean, pain is not the only way in. That's not, the, right, that's not the point either. Pain is not the only access point, right? But what he's dealing with is the idea of slavery, exile, and redemption. Now, we could look at a whole other teaching that he has on joy, ecstasy, and abandon. There are those two. Well, that's not the one we're looking at. Right, So I want to say that to you too, Bert, is that there's lots of you know, texts on mitzvah gedolah le'opasim Right, It is a great mitzvah to be in joy always. You know, and, and the practices that the Hasidic masters went to, to cultivate ecstasy and joy. We're just l- looking at this Passover season, right, at something related to the idea of our stuckness, where we get stuck. So let's drop down on 49 all the way down. starting with the paragraph, but the sequence of verses in chapter two, yes, which, which is what he quotes here, not 6-6, six, six, which we referenced a minute ago, suggests in his reading that the inner transformation within the self is what arouses and enables the redemptive, quote, help of God. A willingness to take into the self the full awareness of what we lack, of our deficiency our limitation, our vulnerability, our suffering is the necessary first step in the process of redemption. In other words, we must be willing to change. We must be willing to accept that we are limited and vulnerable. It takes work. And, and what she's saying, our author, Judith Cates, is saying, what I find especially profound here is what seems almost paradoxical in 21st century America, obsessed as we are with control and technological, quote, fixes. The Svadimeth's formulation is that genuine absorption of our fundamental condition of being in need unable to control the world or to fix it in accordance with our desires, our, in other words, our groaning, is in itself, not simply the beginning of the process, but a small redemptive movement in itself. Hmm. As obsessed as we are with control and technological fixes. I would say
6: also... Are there, what are there like 25 bestsellers about how to be happy? And I don't mean to sound like such a dismal person, but. It's like you're supposed to be happy all the time. It's like that is the natural state, it's to try to always be happy. And it seems so. It seems like such a bad deal to me to always be trying to be happy because I feel like happiness is something that just kind of comes to you. It's not. We want to be miserable. <laughs> There's a flip side of that, and that is
2: people always trying to be unhappy well, and in guess, pain, yeah. which is which
6: is
0: the
2: other side of it. I,
6: yeah.
0: So the the pity party, the obsession with control, either way, right, either That's direction, right. Right. is what we are stuck in. Is what Judith Gates is saying in 21st century America, mm-hmm. we have this myth and illusion of control that is really unhelpful. Since, P.S., I hate to be the one to put the needle in your bubble, we are not in control. This is the way I, I know. right here. This is the way, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It was the first time in my whole life, I, and I had been a rabbi for a while, the only way I understood the tearing of the Kriya ribbon at the graveside and saying the blessing that says, Blessed are you, God, Dayanha, and met the true judge. What are you talking about? I'm going to ask people to say that at the graveside? I don't think so. Until my father died. Six months from diagnosis to death, the most grim and horrible progressive awfulness I've ever witnessed. Unmarried, so I was his caregiver. And when I buried that man, I stood at the side of the grave and for the first time said Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Because it was the only way I could live with the grief and the guilt. Had I done this, had I done that, had I gotten him to Duluth, had I gotten him there when he could still walk, had I gotten him when he was first showings, right? All of the ways I ate myself up all night long about had I done things differently, he might have lived. The only way for me through that was we do not have control it was the first time I got it that that's actually a spiritual relief is that we don't control everything it's it's bigger than we are we're human, we're frail, we're creatures of this planet we get sick people die we're gonna die Right. there's it's not all in our control, and I think we work ourselves into this twist, always thinking that if we just do something differently or read another article or take another supplement, right? Right? If I had just done, if I had just... I buried a 47-year-old woman. We had a memorial service here yesterday. Left an 8-year-old and a 4-year-old. And there was the suggestion of early childhood trauma held on to is what caused that pancreatic cancer. Mm. Why would someone go there? I'll tell you why, because we think we have control. And it's easier to think, you know, had I done something else, I wouldn't have had this. It's easier to think that then we are creatures and we are fragile and it just happens. But when we can just own the terror that that causes, and allow ourselves to understand that we do not have control. It's the beginning of liberation. It's the beginning of redemption. He tells us. Judith Cates writes that this applies to us both collectively and individually. I hear in this an essential teaching about what makes it possible for us to imagine a different, better condition and to undertake what is even more difficult, actually desiring to change, to overcome the fear of change. His insight that it is possible to be so settled into inner exile as not to feel it as exile resonates on every level of our existence, from personal relationships to national and international politics. Right? To say... It doesn't have to be this way. This is, in fact, galut. This is exile. This is not a state we want to stay in, a status we want to stay in. What would that do if we, if we nationally and internationally owned that we are in a state of galut? What would that mean? my sense, in this country anyway, ain't nobody want to go there. What would that mean I would have to give up? Eh? What would have to change for all people on this planet to live equitably? Right? It sure would mean no more SUVs on the west side, wouldn't it? (laughs) It it, would... She's seriously talking about what deep change means. And that is really scary and really threatening often. And it's easier to say in an unawareness of exile.
1: I like this sentence where she says, what is even more difficult is the desire to change. Right. right. Because fear comes from change.
4: And that's what separates pain from psychopathology, is, is the desire to change.
0: Right. This
4: dining table conversation. I know
0: Becky's going to keep going back to the psychopath. All right. So until you get
4: my dad in the class.
0: <laughs> so fifty. Who is it who wants to read about hope? I'll read about. Hope. Great, Linda. So drop down to that bottom paragraph. Yet while the meaning.
6: Yet, while deepening the meaning of exile, even beyond the horrors of the rabbinic imagination, he also offers a larger scope for our own capacity for liberation. Hope in this sifat Emet comes from a source different from the gracious, undeserved compassion of God asserted in many rabbinic midrashim. Rather than coming from the external movement of God's mysterious attention to us, Hope for divine redemptive energy is intimately connected to human struggle. We, in our very vulnerability and suffering, can have the capacity for an inner transformation that can arouse response from God. Thank you. So hope,
0: in this sense, is not that God will come rescue me, that God will deliver us from slavery. It's not an outside movement towards me, The hope, because that's one kind of hope. That's fine. That's wonderful. That's a great kind of hope. What she's saying is this is, in a way, a radical teaching about another really profound source of hope. And that is from within ourselves. Right? That it's intimately connected with our struggles. And owning those struggles and entering those Our vulnerability and our suffering have the capacity to bring us to inner transformation that elicits an empathetic response from God. That hope can can be located within each of us, within a people.
3: This is inexplicable grace.
0: And, And yet from within... Right? Because you're right that he connects it to grace that God gives us even that willingness to go there. But rather than starting out there, you know, it's rather than an outward movement this way, it's what's given to us in here as our divine birthright.
3: <coughs> theoretically empowering, but it's very complex. Yes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. There's like a roadmap here. I mean, yeah. ultimately the trigger yeah. is the pain yeah. and the consciousness.
3: Yeah. The right pain now. becomes
1: so great that your ability to control the pain is destroyed.
6: Well, there's, you know, so people, people who have experienced terrible things and have moved on. And there's people who have experienced terrible things and... Could you speak up? I am people who have experienced terrible things in their lives and they manage to move on, sometimes too heroic. Lives and some people have pain in their lives and it ends up They're debilitating stuck. them. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, somebody said to me once, the difference is hope. The person who has hope, hope actually is the root of courage. If you have hope for something better, you can <clears throat> try for something better. But if you are stuck in pain and you have no hope, Wow. you have no courage because why would you try?
0: Which is why this father I met is not a therapist. He's a rabbi. Right? And I'm not being flip or facetious when I say that. He... You could just say, okay, some people do. Some people don't. Find hope. Right? You know, it's like... Yeah, right? So you're right because the key is hope. And for... That's why he's a rabbi. That's why some of us use religious language. Right? Is to say we take that movement towards relationship to something we can't even quite comprehend, right. but have experience and choose to see as God.
1: You know, it's understandable, certainly, but a lot of this sounds to me like the kind of a faith you'd hear about in a Christian mm-hmm. ministry.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Just faith in God. Well, faith, faith. Mm.
3: So think.
0: it's but it, for, to me it just doesn't feel empty the way some of that language about if you just have faith in him and it's always to him to then he will do something to you and that will change you and i and i believe often what's going on is once you have hope or trust or faith or, or something that gives you that energy forward you are transformed so i'm not saying it's not true, that model, I'm saying I think it requires something more than leaping over
3: experience. Yeah. This is more psychologically valid, what you're saying. In other words, the and, and having an anesthetized, you can't feel much hope when you're that way. And what you're talking about is this inner struggle that really lights a fire that enables you to, to visualize hope. Really. And that's different than this kind of empty evangelical
1: but you have to have faith that the process will get you where you want to go.
3: Yeah, no, I think you have to be open to divine energy. Well, maybe that's the But spot. then also, you know, that, I hate to tell you that, about the genetic so research literature about happiness and, and even religiosity irrespective of environment with the twin studies and everything. But I, I mean, some of it you can make alterations, but some of it is
0: hardwired. Some people just aren't Sure. So, you know, levels of, you know, what's normative 100%. And and that same literature is showing that participation, you know, in some kind of a community of meaning shifts, right? The set point you can't shift so much. But there's other parts of that pie that that you can influence and 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 that's the part we're working with. Right. Yeah.
4: I just know that like my hardest times in life have always been my most productive, you know, results at the end of that and I just feel like that's when the spark mm. comes into play is when you just hit the bottom of whatever. You know, that's when you get redeemed. Mm-hmm. And it's work. It is, you just isn't it? you don't want to live in that place. Right. It's work. Mm-hmm. Right. But and that, there's but I don't want to live in that place is a desire for change. Right. Exactly. Correct. That's when the spark comes. Mm-hmm. Correct. When, when you have gotten to the point of wanting to change, you create change.
0: So when that, you're poor. <laughs> yeah. oh, right. You're so, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? This is when the rabbis read that famous midrash. Don't read Mitzrayim, Egypt, because mm-hmm. the Torah has no vowels. It's read its liberation, Meitzarim, from the tzar, from the narrows, from the constricted, from the pain from the trouble, sad, the trouble, right? It's it's fr- the point is to be liberated by moving through that water to the other side.
6: That's the hardest thing when you love someone who's going through, you know, I have alcoholics in my family and I remember my sister saying to me about my brother-in-law that she read something in alcoholics anonymous or something that you never want to steal someone's bottom. Bottom? You don't want to steal bottom, someone's
0: man. bottom, their rock bottom.
6: And it's such a horrifying thought to think you could really love someone, but if you keep doing that for them, then they never get to the point where they want to change. And that's, I just thought about that. that it's such a, such a frightening, horrifying thing when you love someone who's an addict or who keeps going to a place that's self-destructive. And how do you, what's the boundary of helping them versus... Mm-hmm. Letting
0: them go through what they have
6: to go through. Or you're a parent. Yeah, well, how do you your child you know, How much hurt. adversity do you protect them from? Right. Like,
0: right, right. When is it enabling? When is it protecting? When is it advocating? When is it taking away their own learning to be resilient? It, this is a complicated mess of a thing. This, right? This human journey. i are raising wrong.
6: these children. <coughs> you, you know, they they go to college and they don't know how to tie their shoes. <laughs> had so much help, <laughs> mine included. But I mean, you know, what, when Bert said, well, does someone need pain in order to grow? I think you need some adversity. You
0: know? well, but, it, but again, it's, it's, this is not, I, I want to keep coming back to this, and I don't mean to hammer it. But I want to be clear that the sfada is not suggesting it is the pain that's good or the pain that's redemptive.
6: It's the awareness.
0: It's feeling the pain that's already there, Mm -hmm. not we should have some because then we grow. I mean, I don't know what he would say about that, but that's not what he's talking about here. It's
3: inevitable.
0: It's It's inevitable. It's existential. It just is. The minute you come into this world, the minute you're a soul embodied in person clothing, there is, there is loss, there is pain, there is fear, there's anxiety, there's stress, there's, there's a lack of control, there's vulnerability, right? There's all of that. It just is. He's not making a judgment about it should be or it shouldn't be, it's good or it's bad. It is. What's not helpful is when we push away from it so hard that we lock ourselves in prison, Right, that we become anesthetized to Galut because if you're not aware you're in Galut, there's no possibility for redemption and for liberation and for coming home. And f- for us as a people, that's the whole business is about coming out of exile and coming home. So for us, what we're about in this building, hopefully is right? about providing exactly those kinds of contexts of meaning and hope and you know, all of that and doing it together um, in a way that helps every single one of us feel like you know, we have one more ounce of courage and desire and willingness to do what it's going to take.